Thanks for joining us on Battle Walks as we walk across the great battlefields of Europe. If you're enjoying the show, why not become a member? Every week, you'll receive exclusive bonus episodes available only to subscribers, and you can listen to all our episodes completely ad-free. Click on the link in the show notes to join us via ACAST+. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A Living History Production. I'm Matt McLaughlin. And I'm Pete Smith. We're battlefield historians who love nothing better than getting out and walking the ground where great battles in history took place. And now we'd like you to come with us. Every week, Battle Walks will take you to one of the great battlefields of Europe. As we walk the ground, we'll dig through the pages of history, we'll uncover the secrets of the battlefields, and most importantly, we'll tell the stories of the people who fought and died there. Welcome to Battle Walks. Hello everyone, welcome to Battle Walks. My name is Pete Smith and today I'm recording one of my out and about podcasts, one of my favourites. So no Matt McLaughlin, my normal co-host. So where am I? Well at the moment, it is rather noisy, I'm hoping that uh, you're not picking up too much of the uh, the background. Uh, I'm sat at a small table in the uh, corner of a bar in the centre of Cherbourg. Uh, my good friend and V1 expert... Battle, fellow battlefield explorer Andrew Bellamy uh, is at the bar, uh, hopefully getting me a drink. Uh, very oddly, actually, he's talking to a fellow Australian barman, and I'm uh, I'm wondering if uh, if perhaps we'll get a discount uh, on the beer. Who knows? Uh, Andrew and I have been uh, on the trail of V1 sites, which is a fairly regular occurrence, um, and also anything else war related that catches our attention when we're uh, when we're going from uh, point to point. And that's what this is going to be about. It's uh, it's a random cross um, section of the stuff uh, that did catch our attention uh, over the last two days. Uh, Andrew actually suggested the title Sat Nav Diversions uh, because we tend to go from A to B using the Sat Nav. And I thought it was a good idea, as most of the things we found uh, of interest were due to the vagaries uh, of my rather slick talking navigation system. So that's what uh, that's what we're doing today. Um, so where do we start? So let's uh, let's start with yesterday, uh, day one. The first uh, unscheduled stop was in the village. I mean, have to excuse my pronunciation. Those of you that have listened to me doing these podcasts before, uh, Le Mesnil Durand. Now that was quite an easy pronunciation, Le Mesnil Durand, and we spotted as we travel through the village the iconic green CWGC sign uh, on the gate of the communal cemetery, Tomb de la Guerre. Uh, the Commonwealth. 
Um, so just uh, the one grave, so a tomb. Uh, Andrew and I have, uh, have, I suppose, become astute at guessing based on the location uh, where we are, uh, uh, what type of grave that, it, that, it's, that it's going to be. And in this case, we both uh, correctly assumed that it would be a, an airman, uh, and 1944, because of uh, of where we are. Oddly, I, I'm never quite sure how I feel about these. Every time I go to one of these cemeteries and find an individual isolated grave, uh, very often lies surrounded by a, a, an ever-changing landscape, oddly. New graves replacing old, dilapidated headstones, sometimes rusting ironwork. Uh, you, you often wonder, are they remembered by the local people? Are they uh, commemorated? I think very often they are. I like to think so, and certainly the graves are cared for by the uh, Commonwealth War Graves, so they're they're always uh, looking fairly pristine. We do occasionally come across one that's not been forgotten, but perhaps not been visited uh, uh, recently. So I often do a little bit of weeding myself and, and cleaning up, which, which is always always uh, good to do. Anyway, in this case, um, the uh, grave was Flight Lieutenant R. F. Bass, uh, a pilot, Royal Air Force. Uh, 29th of June 1944, age 21. Um, What we normally do, and what we did in this case, normally uh, pay our respects uh, and then head back out to the car and uh, out with the iPad. And uh, and quickly, while we're still there, while it's fresh, and you, you have a look, uh, have a look at the details that we that we can uh, we can discover uh, uh, about um, uh, RF Bass. So in this case, very quickly, we found Reginald Frederick Bass, a Spitfire pilot, flying with two 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 Natal Squadron, part of one three five wing, based in Selsey Bill. And on the 29th of June, they were providing fighter cover over the D-Day beaches. And at 8.45, southwest of Lisso, they encountered a number of uh, Fokker Wolf 190s of JG-26. And Flight Lieutenant Bass, uh, unfortunately, was shot down by Lieutenant William Hoffman, the officer commanding the 8th Staffel. I, I also found a, a, a marvellous photograph uh, of this young man uh, posing with his new aircraft. And in this case, the aircraft is named. It was a Cuba Libre one of two aircraft named and unveiled by the Cuban ambassador. Um, I'll post all of these. Uh, there's going to be quite a few photographs that I'm going to post on the Battlewalks Facebook page as we, as we travel along. So that was, that was our first port of call. Um, the actual, what Andrew and I are actually doing is we're, we're going to the V1 sites and following V1 sites, but this isn't a, a V1 podcast we've already put out for those that are interested. There is a, a podcast on V1 launch sites, uh, but I thought I'd mention really some of the observations on some of these sites as well as uh, some of our, our detours. So we were visiting a site, the next visit was a site near Castellon and Org. Um, it's a modified site, so not the great concrete med- mega structures of the ski sites, uh, but still quite some substantial concrete still there. Um, uh, and those are the smaller, uh, solidly built structures, that, like the catapult cleaning and compressor buildings. And in this case, they were right beside the public road, so almost impossible to miss. And why I'm commenting upon it is, is what really caught my eye as we were having a look round. And one of the things was a China telephone insulation um, uh, I don't know what to call them, a pot insulation device. It's where you tie your telephone lines to for insulating them from other electrical cables. 
and it was still screwed into the into the ceiling. But what really I found just I don't know I just found it interesting really is that the pencil mark was drawn into the concrete where you could see where the contractor who who fitted it and screwed it into the wall had marked his uh, his little cross and then a line to show where the cables and where the uh, where the uh, insulator should go. Still there after all all, all this all, all this time, and then out we went round the back of the building and. Not common, but there was a uh, a series of very much Great War style zigzagging trenches, so defensive trenches. I suppose it's because we're in Normandy um, and, and near the coast, and so these things doubled up as uh, defensive positions. So zigzagging trench uh, behind the building. So I jumped into it and, and, and walked along it, and spilling out the, out of uh, one corner of it were a whole load of of glass bottles, um, and oddly, yeah. Uh, uh, a medical ampule, I suppose. Not oddly, it's just uh, they, they all had a slight medical uh, uh, usage. Most of the bottles that were coming out, so so for some reason, all contemporary, all from uh, from that Second World War period. So I had a I had a good old uh, rummage through them, and uh, oddly, yes, I was a bottle collector in uh, in in the past, so I uh, I know my old bottles, and uh, yeah, I picked a few up and uh, and decided to leave them there. I, I don't really collect bottles any longer, and I thought I'd leave these for somebody else to, to look at and to find and, and get excited about. Uh, but just interesting what you can find when you're rummaging on these uh, on these on these old uh, sites. Again, I took a photograph of a couple of the uh, of the bottles, so you can have a look at those on the uh, on the Facebook page. Um, and then uh, off we went again, back in the car and uh, and trundling down these country lanes, following where the sat nav was going to take us. And, and the final real unexpected find of the day was was on top of a, a gentle rise and uh, a hill between two villages, uh, Maziers and Estrie's La Campagne, possibly. Um, and it was a, a, a white cross uh, flanked by two uh, black marble plaques with gold lettering. And the clue straight away, I knew what we were looking at. Uh, uh, on top of the uh, the white cross uh, was, I could see, a, a Canadian maple leaf. So, uh, obviously, a Canadian memorial. So, park the car up uh, just at the side of the road. Very often with these little memorials, there's nowhere to park. So, it's just a case of uh, getting two wheels up on the bank. Uh, my car sometimes thinks it's a four-wheel drive. It's not, but I use it as if it, as if it was. Anyway, parked it up on the side of the road and uh, emblazoned... Uh, uh, on the uh, just beside the cross to the soldiers of the 28th Canadian Armoured Regiment, the British Columbia Regiment, uh, Canadian Armoured Corps, and the now I'm going to struggle with this word Algonquin. I hope that's how you say it, Algonquin. I'm sure it isn't how you say it. Uh, regiment who on the 9th of August 1944 in the surrounding area of Hill 140 gave their lives for freedom. Greater love hath no man. It's a very moving inscription. And again, we paid our respects. Uh, We do normally carry a a few uh, little uh, poppy crosses around with us and lay them where necessary and sometimes scribble a bit of information on them. Um, So paid our respects and uh, had a good look at the landscape. And one of the great things about doing this is you can look and try and understand why it's there without knowing anything about the action, because I have to say, knew nothing about the action um, and visualising what was uh, going on at, at that time. Um, and then we uh, got back in the car and onwards uh, uh, towards Khan, which is going to be our, or was our first uh, uh, overnight stop. Um, and I added it to the uh, list of uh, 
an ever-growing list of when you're on one of these tours of things to look up and find further information on when we got back to the hotel. So in the hotel that evening, a quick bit of research and uh, discovered uh, that this, uh, these guys were part of Worthington Force and they'd been tasked during phase two of the Operation Turtle Eyes, which was to secure the high ground overlooking fillets. Um, uh, and on uh, this ground, around Hill 140, Worthington Force fought a desperate uh, and stubborn engagement against a very determined enemy. Um, unfortunately, the, the hill that they had uh, been, been tasked to uh, take and hold was Hill 195, which was 7K to their east, so they were actually on the wrong location. Um, and by uh, 1700, most of Worthington Force had been captured or, or forced uh, to withdraw. So it was a, a tough fight for them, and that's why they, uh, they remember it. And I think the final line on the memorial, I always take lots of photographs so I can uh, uh, have a look at them and uh, remind myself of what was going on. And the final line on their memorial, their courage and sacrifice remains unsurpassed in the annals of the Canadian Army. So you can see how it was, uh, how it was, and probably still is, is, is viewed. So back to Cannes. So that's where we were for the first night uh, in the centre of Cannes. Uh, very nice hotel. It's one that I, I use quite often. Um, described quite often as the gateway to Normandy and the landing beaches, um, or perhaps the gateway to the Normandy landing beaches, uh, rather than Normandy, because we have been in Normandy for quite a while. Uh, it's the third largest city in Normandy, which quite surprised me. Uh, I thought it was the largest. Uh, but in fact, uh, Le Havre, which I'd, I never really relate to being in Normandy, but Le Havre uh, and Rouen uh, are both larger and both uh, within uh, uh, Normandy. Um, Cannes, uh, founded by William the Conqueror in the 11th century. We'll do this a bit, jump about to different periods uh, in history. So, founded by William the Conqueror in the 11th century and became a major English stronghold in the Hundred Years' uh, War. And again, we have covered a little bit of the Hundred Years' War in previous podcasts. Um, we did uh, uh, Agincourt. So you can uh, look back to the podcast, have a look at the Agincourt uh, podcast. Um, the Chateau de Cannes, which is a, a castle, um, for a fortification built in 1060, very badly damaged in 1944 during the heavy bombing of, uh, of Cannes um, because it, uh, it wouldn't surrender and uh, when the Germans were holding it, so very heavily bombed uh, by, uh, by uh, the Allies. Um, but it's been beautifully restored and uh, certainly well worth a, a, a visit. Orne River flows through the town along with the Cannes Canal, both of which are relative uh, for those who have... Uh, done the Normandy beaches, we'll know that Pegasus Bridge uh, uh, crosses over the uh, the canal. Uh, lots of uh, of hotels, uh, again, to suit everyone's pocket. Um, and it's great for shopping, if you like that kind of thing, which I don't. But uh, it's... <laughs> When you live in very rural France, it's sometimes nice to be in a town to go and actually wander amongst uh, amongst some shops, but n not overly uh, my thing. And, and, of course, lots of bars and restaurants, uh, which are excellent. Um, I'm sure you get the drift. Uh, so, uh, nice place uh, uh, to uh, use as your base if you're travelling. It's at one extreme end of the uh, of the Normandy battlefields, um, but it, uh, yeah, you have to start somewhere. Um, so, I, uh, I always like going to kind of like, like the city itself. So the following morning, we were up uh, bright and early, and uh, uh, so that's uh, that's today. That was this morning, and um, and off we went uh, from Cannes to Cherbourg. That's uh, our objective today. Whole list of V1 sites to go to, um, and again, but that's not what this podcast is going to be about. Even though we will uh, mention them uh, a little. First port of call, uh, something that. Uh, 
oddly, Andrew had been to and I had not been to, and that was uh, one of the, uh, the the WN positions, win positions. This one wins 60 above Omaha Beach. Um, uh, WN is an abbreviation of Nest of Resistance, so, so basically they're uh, strong points. Um, looking from a German perspective, so out to sea, it's on the extreme right of Omaha Beach, um, in an area known as Fox One Draw. A draw is, is one of the routes up uh, that was going to be used to get up off the beaches. Um, and unusually, it's, it's not a location I had visited. It's one that Andrew had visited briefly and, uh, and wants to go and have a look at again. And I have to say, I was completely blown away by it. What a fantastic uh, site. Um, I hadn't been before because it can't be reached by large coaches uh, and it takes too long to walk there from the beach. You could come up from the beach or, in, uh, or in fact, actually approach it from, uh, from the village. Um, but I, uh, yeah, we, we managed to drive there. Sadly, following the sat-nav, it didn't quite take us the way that... Um, uh, that I thought it was going to take me. It led us slightly astray and we ended up navigating the pedestrian footpath at one point. But anyway, we got there. Um, and uh, yeah, gr- gr- just fantastic. So what uh, is there there to see for those of you that uh, hopefully will visit it? And that's the whole point of these podcasts, to encourage people to get out and about and to do what we're, uh, we do. Um, probably the best view across Omaha Beach of any location. I certainly was just amazed by by the view. You can look right along the beach, past the American Cemetery, all the way to Pont de Hoc. So you can see the whole spread of, uh, of Omaha Beach. Uh, the site itself is, is a great little site. It's a cluster of Tobrooks, uh, Tobrooks being... Uh, Fortified positions, they're like little kind of, um, how do I describe it to Brooke? It's a circular top or octagonal top sometimes, um, just about the size of, of, of two men. So if you imagine two men side by side, um, they're used for either mortar positions or, or very often machine gun positions, so both. Uh, um, and then the, the bulk of everything is under the ground. In fact, all of it's under the ground, so you've got uh, storage for ammunition. Uh, and the men uh, feeding the uh, feeding the guns. So, so a cluster of those, uh, an observation bunker, and several gun platforms, uh, and all uh, accessible. You can you can go go inside them. You can uh, uh, walk through them. So, so just fantastic. And uh, um, so yeah, so so a great location to go to. A little bit of the history of the site. Uh, by nine o'clock on the sixth of June. Uh, two companies of the American 16th Regiment 1st Infantry Division, so the big red one, had taken this site. Um, so it's one of the uh, earliest uh, areas to be uh, to be taken. And the defenders, uh, 40 men of Grenadier Regiment 726, uh, surrendered, uh, 31 being uh, taken uh, prisoners of the of the 40. Um, so uh, it's a well-photographed site, and in fact, what we did uh, before we came here, so uh, last night we actually went and, and found a load of photographs of the site, so uh, well worth doing, uh, and we were able to compare those uh, while we stood about, um, so we, we got an understanding of, uh, of, of, uh, of how the emplacement uh, uh, worked. So great site, highly recommend it. Uh, WN60, um, Fox 1 draw, looking out to see extreme right of Omaha, uh, Omaha Beach. Um, go and track it down. So back in the car, uh, off we uh, off we went again, and uh, a couple of E1 sites, and then another uh, sat nav diversion. 
Uh, as most of you will be aware who have used sat-navs, they have a terrible habit of uh, cutting corners, and in this case it uh, it uh, tried to save us 10 minutes by cutting a little corner off uh, off the main road, and we just bumped into uh, another uh, a very interesting memorial. Uh, flagpole, we could see it straight away again, Canadian, so uh, the maple leaf flying, and... Uh, a French inscription, no English on this one, just a French inscription. So here we go, give it my best shot. Uh, Le Memoir de Joseph Campbell uh, McPherson, Pilots Canadian de la Royal Air Force, Abtu and Seloir, Laws d'une Mission de Reconnaissance. Now, I had to check to see what it, I feel thought I knew what it meant, and it's uh, a strange term if you do the direct literal translation shot dead here during a reconnaissance mission. So, in fact, he, his plane crashed here, and this is where, it, sadly, he lost his life. Uh, 3rd of June, 1942. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So what form did the memorial take, or does the memorial take? Well, it's uh, it's a large lump of uh, of rock that uh, looks like granite with a marble plaque uh, fixed to the the front of it with that inscription on it. Um, now, in this case, uh, of course, this was earlier this morning. We did a quick look on the uh, CWGC online database, and it tells me that Flight Sergeant McPherson was twenty eight uh, twenty eight years old from Wawata in Saskatchewan. Uh, well, water, does that sound right? Possibly. Uh, and he was a, a, Spitfire, a Spitfire pilot serving in num- number one photo reconnaissance unit. Uh, and he now lies in uh, Sherborg uh, Communal uh, Cemetery, um, which uh, w- will be, in fact, the last of the visits of, uh, of uh, today. So it's the last place we went to, uh, but more of that uh, that later. I'll tell you uh, uh, the story of visiting the cemetery later uh, later on. Um, again, I'm going to post. I, f- I tracked down a photograph of him, so I'll, I'll p- add that to the uh, uh, to the post. So back to the car. 
Now, this was very strange. Back to the car, 100 metres down the road, and we found ourselves travelling back in time massively. Um, and there was a ruin sticking out of the ground just on our right-hand side, uh, obviously very old ruin, but very well cared for. And in fact, it's the Roman uh, city of uh, Aluna. Uh, and just these few structures visible... Uh, but enough to fire the imagination. And uh, what we were looking at are the Roman baths, the uh, uh, the uh, the remnants of the of the Roman baths, um, and uh, all around us, uh, theatre, forums, temples, all laid out in a uh, grid pattern. Now under the the fields, but there's quite a substantial area that's nicely lawned, and you can walk amongst uh, amongst them. The original town covered 45 hectares. Now. I'm getting this from the information panel that was there and I'm not very good at visualising 45 hectares. What on earth is that like? So I did a quick uh, a quick Google search uh, this evening before we before we came on, on air. Uh, and one hectare equals a rugby field. So 45 rugby fields. So that's the size of the town. 45 rugby fields. Uh, and it was once the capital of the uh, Cotentin uh, area, the peninsula, um, from the 1st to the 3rd uh, century AD. So a fairly important uh, Roman uh, uh, outpost. Now, the name of the town that it's abutted to uh, is called uh, Valogne. Oh, Valognes? I have no idea. So, Valognes. I suspect they don't pronounce the S, so I'm going to go for Valogne. Um, the name of the adjacent town. Um, I, I, my view, fantastic job uh, of preserving the ruins. They're well preserved. There's good car parking. There's good explanatory panels. Um, and as you can see, because I got that info, all this information was uh, straight off off the panel. So yeah, we don't just stop for the first and second world war. We'll uh, have a look at anything that's historic. And so back in the uh, back in the car again. Um, now I found this. This amazing deserves uh, quite a bit of conversation, I think. Here, so literally a couple of kilometres along, and you get used to kind of your head screwing around all the time looking for things. And in this case, it's a little village of Tamerville, um, and screwed to the boundary wall of the uh, of the village church was a big blue panel. And, and it was fairly obvious that it had aeroplanes, uh, uh, Second World War aeroplanes, uh, in the uh, in the text. Um, and so immediately we pulled over and, and nice, easy to park again, um, across to go and have a look at it. Uh, and the heading at the top, a tribute to our liberators. In English, it's both in English and French, uh, but a lot of English. So sometimes the French do have a little habit of abbreviating what they're going to tell us in English. But in this case, a full translation. And it lists four planes which crashed within the, the confines of the parish during uh, 1944. I just find that amazing, amazing, and, and very moving. Uh, and in fact, it's a close inspection of the of the plaque. There's no information as to who's put it up or why. So it's just a village thing. It's just the village wanted to commemorate somebody. Obviously, in the village, is keen on history, and he wanted to commemorate those that had died in 1944, fought and died uh, to liberate uh, his uh, his village. So the the four planes, as I mentioned, uh, are, are a cross section really of of what was flying at the time. Uh, a Douglas A20 Havoc, a Boeing uh, B-17G Flying Fortress, uh, Douglas C-47A Dakota Skytrain, and a North American F-6C Mustang. And the F-6C is the tactical reconnaissance uh, version of, uh, of the Mustang. So those are the four planes that uh, uh, crashed in the village. Um, but the one that really ca- caught my imagination is the, uh, uh, or our 
imagination. So Andrew's just bringing my, my, my beer back. Thank you, Andrew. Um, was the Flying Fortress, uh, which was of, um, uh, of great interest because it had been attacking V1 and V2 locations. So it tied in with what we're actually here doing. So I'm just going to read uh, what, it, uh, what it actually said uh, on there. On April the 28th, 1944, uh, uh, 106 Boeing B-17, uh, 106, should I say, Boeing B-17 Flying Fortresses were scheduled to attack the giant German construction work at Sotovast. Um, which it has in brackets a future launch site for the V2 rocket. Well, well it actually wasn't, but um, it was uh, part of the V1 uh, complexes in the area. Um, as, uh, and it also states, as well as two nearly completed V1 flying bomb launch sites in the village of Hardinvast. Weather conditions were, however, far, far from favourable, preventing the B-17 crews from identifying their targets, and most of the B-17s returned to the UK with their bombs. Only the commander of the 100th Bomb Group decided to attempt another run, but without changing his course, nor his altitude of 21,000 feet, uh, which is uh, 6,400 metres. Does that sound right? Hmm. Don't know. Don't think so. I think I'll stick to the feet, 21,000 feet. Uh, the German anti-aircraft gunners had seized their chance and started uh, an intense barrage of fire. Um, and they scattered the 21B-17s uh, during their second run. Uh, although 15 planes managed to drop uh, um, uh, 90 bombs of uh, £1,000 on the target, the planes were tracked by flak uh, shells all the way, which eventually hit and shot down the lead plane. And the second one, which is the one that crashed uh, over the village or exploded over the village, uh, known as the, it's named the Denver Doll, belonging to the 349th Bomb Squadron, suffered the same fate when it received a direct hit on one of its engines, resulting in a fire. The plane was last seen diving and breaking up the left wing uh, detaching before the plane disappeared, spinning into thick cloud, uh, a thick cloud layer. The pilot had ordered the crew to bail out, but only three were able to open their parachutes before the plane exploded in the sky above Tamerville. The largest piece of the B-17 fell near Cantarine, and the three survivors uh, were captured. The bodies of the seven deceased crew members were buried on May the 2nd, 1944, in Sherberg Cemetery. Um, but the American Graves Registration Service transferred their remains to the temporary military cemetery of Quarquebet, Quarquebut, in March of 1945, and two of the deceased uh, crew uh, now rest in the American cemetery at Colville, uh, Samir. So that's uh, Omaha, uh, while the five other crew members' remains were returned to the United States for burial. So, so just just fascinating story and connects very much with uh, what we're actually doing, looking at the V1 and uh, uh, firing positions here. Um, I just found it fascinating in this very, very rural village, you know, that all this effort has been made in, in recording all of that information. There's actually some more information on there about the the, the, the taking of the village and the men that actually worked in the village uh, uh, after, uh, uh, afterwards, uh, uh, after the sixth of June, when it was retaken, and the Americans that were in the area. So, so just lots of lots of uh, information. Sorry, it's going to take a mouthful of beer. Oh, that's better. Right. Um, onwards, and uh, uh, we went uh, back to V1 sites. Um, 
And I thought, again, I'm just going to bring in a little bit of V1 here. Uh, so what are we doing when we're looking at V1 sites? I'm, I'm sure some of you who have listened to the V1 uh, podcast wonder uh, and know that uh, uh, my hobby and uh, when Andrew is over from Australia, we spend a lot of time uh, just driving around from V1 site to, to, to site. So, so what are we looking for? Um, well, what we're looking for is, is very often is something unusual that we haven't seen before or, or perhaps a more complete component uh, than we normally see uh, on the V1 sites. Um, and that's what we found here. We found something rather strange, to say the least, and it was at a place called uh, Sosameznil. Let's try that again. Sosameznil. I should just make these names up and turn them into something easier. Um, and we found a very odd V1 firing bunker. So um, it's beside the road, and it looked some, somewhat like a bush shelter. Now the firing bunker is uh, is built to protect the literally the people that fire the missile, um, and so it's normally very very kind of tough, uh, very thick uh, concrete. This one, not at all. Bush shelter, long horizontal slit window facing the firing platform. So it was it was roughly in the right place. But it just didn't make sense to me. And Andrew and I just paced around it. We uh, we actually measure things quite often just to get the sizes. Uh, what was great is we, it was in perfect condition. Um, and, it, and to be honest, it looked like it had been prefabricated and brought in. And that's an interesting kind of observation because we often wonder how much of this, as they... Uh, uh, decrease the amount of concrete and try to make these things quicker um none of these fired by the way all of these in the, in this area none of them fired they were all overrun before they could uh, before they could fire so this one pro- almost certainly prefabricated elsewhere this firing bunker brought in but no way would it have kind of withstood the the blast from a misfiring or detonating v1 uh, it would have just blown it over so it just didn't make sense to me uh, so we just marked it down uh, uh, as odd, and we moved on. Uh, little did we know that literally 30 minutes later, uh, the mystery, mystery will be quickly solved, because it's the same commune, um, and we're just visiting another firing point. Very often they are clustered together, so visiting another firing point uh, beside the road again, and this time it was complete and it was buried. What we realised is that the one we'd been looking at had not it just literally been brought. You can imagine they lifted it off a lorry, they put it roughly where it was going to go, they went away and they then abandoned the site. So it was never buried and put and literally put in position. So this one perfectly buried as it should be. Um, so so it was great to actually see one uh, under construction almost and very much being able to have a look at how it was brought in. So we learnt something, that they were kit formed, they were brought in, and they would be buried uh, on site. So, yeah, solve a, solve a little uh, a little mystery. Um, and it's nice when you can solve the mystery uh, immediately. Again, I've got photographs of both of these, so, so if you're not getting the gist of what I'm talking about, then uh, the photographs will, uh, will help. So, onwards uh, t- uh, towards uh, uh, Sherberg. And... Um, our last port of call. Now, this actually wasn't on the list, but I suspect it would have gone on the list uh, either tomorrow morning. Um, but in fact, we decided to do it tonight. Uh, the the, the uh, light is improving, so it was still light beyond five o'clock. Um, and um, and we, we went to the cemetery, to the communal cemetery. Um, the Commonwealth War Graves aspect is literally called that, Old Communal Cemetery, uh, the, the CWGC section. But the CWGC section is within the bigger communal cemetery 
Here we go again. And the, the cemetery is called Cimetière de Aguilon Ancien. Now, I know what that Ancien means. It means ancient. And cemetière is cemetery. And it's cemetery of the Aguilons. What is an Aguilon? I've tried a direct translation. It comes up with something weird. So I have no idea. So, so if somebody wants to tell me what that actually means, that would be fascinating. Anyway, uh, the entrance is at the highest point. Um, so you get the most spectacular views as you uh, as you walk through. Two beautiful pillars that have uh, mosaics uh, on each side, and it's a black wreath uh, with white um, white streamers uh, um, and uh, on a gold background. They're just beautiful, and um, uh, and immediately you're confronted by a sea of white painted. Uh, cast iron uh, grave markers which are commemorating the last resting place of uh, of the French service personnel uh, and uh, of, of both where, uh, world wars and just fantastic I, I I know these type of markers the cast iron ones but you don't see them very often I hadn't seen uh, very many of them so uh, very interesting um, and um, and then amongst them I could see the uh, the, the heavy dark stone markers of, of Belgium soldiers. So, so again, some Belgians buried here. And looking right across the grave to the right-hand side, across the cemetery, across the French graves, I could see the cross of sacrifice uh, of the CWGC cemetery. So I knew where it, uh, where it was. And then this is where I, uh, it all went horribly wrong. I intended to gallop across there and go and look. Uh, and I just found it fascinating looking at the uh, at the French markers. There's a lot of information on these old-fashioned markers and names and nationalities and, and dates. Um, and just just very, very interesting. And uh, you know, immediately I could see there were Chinese, there were Serbs, the North Africans, sailors, Marines, soldiers. A real mix of the of the French military of uh, of the of the Great War, really, because the majority are, are Great War. Um, I'm going to try and describe one of these markers. Again, I've got photographs so you can actually have a look, but it's just worth I'll try to describe them. Uh, on the Christian graves, it, it's like a, a sword, as in a sword in the stone. So it's a, a, a metal uh, uh, sword, and the words uh, Souvenir Francais uh, on, each, uh, on, on, uh, on each side of the, uh, uh, of the hilt. Um, then there's a lion's head, and the Croix de Guerre is also in, uh, emblazoned uh, on it. And then you get their individual uh, names uh, beneath that. So it's so all laid out very well uh, for the Muslim graves. And there are there are a, a, a good number of Muslim graves here. It's a tapering marker, cast iron again, souvenir francais uh, on the top. And then there's the, uh, the star and the half moon. Um, and their name uh, beneath, and then the Croix de Guerre beneath that. So, so both very, very attractive. And I, I did spend a, a quite some time, almost uh, too late, because I wanted to do some photography down at the CWGC cemetery. Um, but there was so much to look at, and the views are spectacular. The views across the uh, uh, the landscape, and then uh, so you're overlooking uh, the town itself, and uh, out to sea, spectacular. One of the one of the the best. Uh, or nicest cemeteries, if there is such a thing, and I think there is. I enjoy uh, going to going to both military and civil cemeteries, actually. But in this case, military cemeteries uh, are then surrounded by a civil cemetery. But the military cemetery is the bit that we we remained in. So across to the uh, Commonwealth War Grave section, um, uh, where the Cross of Sacrifice was, and we located the grave of Flight Sergeant McPherson, of course, the one that we wanted to go and see, having been to where he sadly lost his life and his plane crashed. Um, so we paid our respects there and put a little uh, cross there. 
Uh, and then I spent some time wandering up and down the rows of graves, and I photographed all the Australian and New Zealand airmen. Um, all of them have been centralised here, so all of them died uh, elsewhere and were brought here for, for burial uh, after the war. Uh, I sometimes have to analyse myself. Why did I do that? Why did I go up and down the rows just photographing the Australian and New Zealand headstones? Um, well, it's to do with distance. I mean, yes, uh, uh, a lot of the people listening to this podcast will be Australian, um, uh, and I, I generally spend a lot of time with Australians. My partner's Australian. So there is a big Australian connection for me. But but also I get this feel of distance. Whenever I see an Australian gl- uh, grave, I just think of distance. And has the family been to visit? Has anybody been to visit? And and so I, I, I generally tend to take a record, a photograph. It's, it's my way of, uh, of paying my respects, really. And you know, I, I stop in front of the grave. I think about who it is that I'm photographing. I take a photograph of the grave. And I just keep it in my records. And, and I wonder if I'm the first to have visited or if some family member or somebody else uh, has visited. Um, and, and then during my quiet periods, uh, I don't get that, that many of them, but I try to uh, carry out some random research. I look at, I look at the name and think, oh, I think I'm going to track down a little bit more information so so that's what i tend to do and uh yeah so i i, I photograph them all um and then and then my final visit and this is just extraordinary i, I could see a grave out a more not in the commonwealth war grave section it's out in the french section there's a but it's a commonwealth war grave headstone and i thought uh, out among the french graves and, and this is literally as i'm leaving i i, I wandered across to go and have a look at it uh, and this is whose grave it was uh his number uh, P.O. Um, uh, 145900, uh, Corporal, uh, RMLI, Royal Marine Light Infantry, A.E. Reed, DSM, Distinguished Service Medal, HMS Stonecrop, 18th of September 1917. So it's a, a First World War grave of a, a member of the Royal Marine Light Infantry. Um, the PO uh, is for Portsmouth, and, and why I was immediately moved is that uh, I'm an ex-Royal uh, Marine, and uh, my number begins with PO as well, so we both have the same uh, uh, prefix to our our numbers. Um, it actually stands for Portsmouth. It's an enlistment. It's where you enlisted, so uh, uh, Portsmouth, uh, PO. Um, and I've literally done the research only about 20 minutes ago for this. Uh, I got back and I thought, well, it's OK recording him and saying, uh, you know, I'm paying my respects and thinking he's a, a fellow member of the of the Royal Marines. And uh, I thought I need to know a little bit more about him. And just fascinating. Just I could feel a whole podcast kind of coming on just uh, uh, just about uh, about this. So. Again, I've scribbled this down to make sure I get it right. So HMS Stonecrop was a Q-ship. Now, for those that don't know, Q-ships are basically uh, civilian merchant ships that were armed, very often with uh, with six-pounders or other other uh, uh, more powerful guns, uh, hidden on the decks. Um, and the whole idea was to try and entrap submarines. So a submarine would surface, which they very often did, um, to either sink the ship by uh, by shell fire or to fire torpedoes, and of course, because they believed they weren't armed, they they felt confident to come up alongside them. And in this case, Q uh, ships were designed to trap the submarines. Uh, it had been a former collier called the Glenfoyle, um, uh, and it, it was sunk. Uh, and it was sunk on the 18th of September in 1917. So the same date uh, that uh, Corporal Reed lost his life is when the ship was sunk. And it was sunk off the southwest coast of Ireland, so you have to presume that his body was washed up on the French coast somewhere, and uh, 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 eventually, and was brought here to uh, uh, for for burial. 
interesting little again little little bit of uh, information um the previous day uh, it had actually sunk a, a german submarine uh, itself u88 and that had been captained uh, captain by walter uh, schweiger and he had captained previously the submarine which sank the lusitania so so <laughs> even the connection to the lusitania here um so yeah, so so fascinating. So this this uh, this Q ship had sunk a submarine the day before it itself was uh, was sunk. Um, so yeah, I can definitely feel a little bit more research coming on uh, on there. Um, so I felt this was uh, a, a fitting end to the day, and uh, we went uh, we went back to the uh, back to the hotel, and uh, and then here we are in the bar now, uh, having a drink before we'll go and find uh, somewhere to uh, uh, to eat. Um, so I hope you've in, kind of enjoyed this little ramble through some of the uh, sat-nav diversions. Uh, this, this might in fact be uh, uh, part one of part two because uh, the next few days we're going to be doing more so I may uh, carry on uh, and uh, see what else uh, I can find to, to chat about. Anyway, uh, uh, chat again soon. I wonder where my, uh, my next beer is. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you would like to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Firstly, you can become a member. For a small monthly fee, you could subscribe to the show and listen to every episode ad-free and also receive exclusive episodes directly from Pete and I. So see the link in the show notes to sign up at ACAST Plus and become a member of the show. Also, if you want to make a one-off contribution, you can now buy us a coffee. Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash battlewalks and you can make a small contribution there. See you next week.